disciples in the book of Acts where the Lord had just ascended back to heaven and the angels came and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that ascended in the clouds is going to descend and come back in like manner. And boy, oh boy, I'm ready for that day, aren't you, church? It's uh, going to be a glorious day for every true believer in Christ. But in the same sense, it breaks my heart to know that there are people for whom that won't be a glorious day. It will be a day of judgment and wrath when the Lord pours out uh, His punishment and judgment upon those who have rejected His Son and have chosen to stay lost in their sins. And so my prayer today is that if you are lost and you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, that uh, before you leave today, He would convict you and draw you into His presence and you would receive the greatest gift that the world has ever known, and that is Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're here today. We are gathered to make much of Him. And uh, I'm excited to share with you a message from the book of Hebrews. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews uh, in chapter 9 there, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But as our, our custom is, each week we like to take a moment to uh, just read a portion of Scripture and ask God to search our hearts, to uh, confess any sin, to just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. A lot of times we, we think, man, I wish so-and-so was here because they needed to hear that message. Well, you're here today, and you need to hear it too. And I do as well. So ask God to prepare your heart uh, to receive whatever it is from today's word uh, that, that would apply to your life. And so I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 and 23. And we'll just take a moment in silent prayer to confess our sins, to ask the Lord to minister to us, and then I'll lead us in corporate prayer together. So Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23 say, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that will not return. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Lord, we're thankful today that... Uh, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have uh, experienced that as believers, Lord, the truth that you, you did come and live the life that we could never live and die the death that we deserved. And three days later, you did rise, Lord, and 40 days later, you did ascend. And Lord, the truth is, one day soon, you'll be returning. And so, Lord, as we patiently wait for that day, may you continue to use us in every way possible to be a light, uh, to share the gospel with those that need it, Lord. And as we, as your people, gather in this place today, Lord, we're thankful that you've given us another day of life to do so. And so I pray that uh, our hearts are in tune with your word and that everything that is done here today, uh, Lord, is pleasing to you. And most of all, we pray uh, for those that are in this church, Lord, that just need to hear from you, that need a touch from you, Lord, that just need comfort from your word, that today would be the day, Lord, that you would speak to them and that you would remind them of who you are, of your promises to them in your word. And most of all, if someone's lost, Lord, that you would show them their sinful condition and the judgment that waits them if they fail to repent. Lord, but also the hope that they can have in Christ. And so, Lord, today we ask that you would take uh, complete authority of this service and that everything that we do would be uh, according to your will and purpose, Father, and we'll give you thanks today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Hebrews chapter 9 today is where we'll be. The title of the message is The True and Perfect Sanctuary. I, I, I've sat through a lot of sermons, and I've certainly preached a lot, but I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon preached on this topic, and I certainly haven't done it. I know that many have done this sermon in per se uh, on this topic but uh, I just personally have not heard it touched upon and so I'm I'm excited to be able 
to share with you, and I felt it was fitting today as we will uh, be taking the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of the service today that this message was really fitting. So Hebrews chapter 9, I am going to ask one last time, if you're able to stand with me, we're not going to read the entire chapter 9, but I'm going to just jump to sections. I'm going to kind of split this up in sections. So we're going to look beginning at Hebrews 9 verses 1 through 5 to start with. It says, Now when the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared. The first section in which there was the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold. And in it was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Jump down to verse 11. We're going to read verse 11 to 13 next. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, and finally, verses 23 and 24 of the same chapter. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year, with blood not of his own. Father, again, bless your word as we uh, seek to do your will, Lord. I pray that you'll speak to us now through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As a pastor, it's interesting to me uh, when I have conversations with people about concerns that they have if they're visiting a church for the first time or maybe they've never been to church. Some of the biggest things that I hear often... Uh, center around external things the biggest one that i've probably heard over the years are people are so concerned about what to wear uh, I, I i don't know why that is such an issue but but oftentimes when you invite somebody to church that's one of the first things that they mention well i don't have any nice clothes or what am i supposed to wear and uh, you know that's something that comes up a lot of time often people are afraid that they'll simply be judged you know, we all have a past, and so when we come into church, we feel like we're amongst a bunch of perfect people, and we're the only ones that's got problems, and so that can be difficult for, for new people coming to church, but it's also interesting to talk to people about what they're looking for. Maybe they're longtime church attenders, and they're, they're looking for certain things in a church, and, and of course, music is one that comes up quite often. People uh, really, really want to know what type of music, and and they look for that to be a certain way. Uh, what programs, depending on what age you're in. And if you have kids, the programs can be a big deal uh, for that. A lot of times people are, are asking questions about what Bible translation you use for some. That can be uh, an issue. And so there are a lot of things that go into either selecting a church or just, uh, just making that first step to come to church. 
Uh, again, every, every one of us is different, and every one of us have preferences. And, and preferences are not necessarily a bad thing. We are a diverse group of people, and that is the way God made us. But in our diversity, there can be unity. And so too often we focus on what divides us rather than what unites us. And uh, if we are children of God, followers of Jesus Christ, that should be the center thing that pulls us together. Uh, we can have our preferences and say, well, I prefer this to that and that to this. But at the end of the day, as God's people, we have common ground that unites us more than what divides us. Uh, and, and so I say all that, whether you like stained glass windows or fog machines or something in between, uh, you know, I, I believe that in the big picture, as believers, we have missed the mark. Uh, we have kind of misunderstood, if you will, uh, what it is that happens in this room on Sundays and Wednesdays. Most of the time, we would refer to this room specifically as the sanctuary. And so, what is the sanctuary? And what isn't the sanctuary? And, and what exactly are we doing in here when we come in this, this room specifically? Well, I think it's important that we understand what the Bible says about the sanctuary and what it is ultimately and what it isn't. So I, I hope and pray that today uh, you will have a better understanding about what exactly we are here to do and what this place is and what it isn't. So one of the first times in Scripture that the sanctuary is mentioned is in the book of Exodus. It's mentioned several times there. Uh, but one of the first times that we see it is in Exodus 25, verse 8. And so God simply says in that verse, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So when we think about the word sanctuary, what exactly does that word mean? What is God describing? The word sanctuary, it comes from a root word that we see used in a lot of places in Scripture. And they all have the same basic meaning. So sanctuary is a place set apart for God. It's a place set apart for God. Another word that comes from that same root is holiness. So when we talk about the Holy Bible, it's a book or a collection of books that is set apart. Same idea. These are set apart. They're different. The Bible calls God's people saints. So if you are a follower of Christ, you are a saint. I know that term because of Catholicism sometimes has taken on a different meaning. But it is a biblical term and all of us as believers are saints. That simply means that we are set apart. We're different. God has called us out of the world and he chooses to use us as his vessels. And so we are set apart, we are sanctified, we are consecrated for his service. So all of those words carry the same concept underneath. The sanctuary was a place, a specific place, set apart where God would come and commune with his people. Okay? And so that's what is being described in Exodus, the building of that sanctuary and all the things that went into it. And he was very specific. If you've ever read, if, if you have went through a reading plan, uh, read the Bible in one year, right? And, and we, we're gung-ho on January 1st, and we dive into it, and we get through Genesis, and we're, we're almost done with January, and we're thinking, man, we're, we're doing good. Uh, and then we get into Exodus, and we're still doing pretty good until we get into all those rules in the, the 20th and, third, and towards the 30th chapter, and then we might fall off a little bit because it can become difficult reading for us to just read the measurements and the fabrics and the garments. But God was very specific, and he was specific for a purpose. 
this place and these things were set apart for the use of God, they should not be ordinary. They should be specific because God was commanding that. And so he was setting up a place where he could commune with his people. And in the, in the opening verses that we read from Hebrews, you notice that, that the writer there is, is taking us back to the Old Testament and he's describing the things that were in, in verse 2 in the ESV calls it a tent. We, we might be more familiar with the word tabernacle. When we think about John's gospel and the Bible says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's literally the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So it's a dwelling place or dwelling within someone. That's the idea that this word is describing. And, and Hebrews 9 tells us about that. He talks about all the things that were prepared. And, and so, you know, on the tabernacle, I won't go into great detail, but if you've seen pictures of that with the, with the outer curtain around it and, and all of the people, a million plus, maybe close to two million people uh, coming out of Egypt and the tribes of Israel all assembled around the outside of that and going through the, the curtain uh, into the courtyard. And here was the, the brazen uh, altar where they would offer sacrifices. And then inside of the, of the tent itself was the table of showbread and the golden lampstand and, and, and the altar of incense with the veil and inside the holiest of holies with the Ark of the Covenant. And man, all those things were going on inside of there. All these rituals and the high priest going in and the, the blood flowing from that altar day in and day out. I can't imagine the scene that it must have been like to see that, to see the smoke rising continually, uh, offering sacrifice after sacrifice for sins and never able to completely atone. Every time that a sin was committed, another offering had to be made. And so this, this is describing that to us. It's talking about all those things that were happening uh, in the sanctuary. But I think it's interesting, you know, as the children of Israel left Egypt, they didn't have a place. God was sending them to Canaan. He, he had promised them a land, but they hadn't arrived yet. And because of their unbelief, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses uh, leading them and never able to enter into that promised land. Moses dies. Joshua takes them in. They fight battles and all the things that we read about in the books of Joshua and Judges. And, and, and then as time uh, goes along... They finally get a home base, if you will. They kind of settle down. And, and David is king, and he, he wants so bad to build a permanent place for the Lord. He wants to build a temple. And God says, no, you're not going to be the one your son is. And so he allows Solomon to finally be the, the one that erects that first temple, that permanent place uh, where they will worship and where God will dwell with his people. But I think it's interesting, when, when that temple is built and they're going through that great day of, of, of ceremony and in the inauguration of that new place, listen to what Solomon says in 1 Kings 8, verse 27. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. As glorious as that first temple was, and, and as honored as Solomon was to have that, that awesome responsibility of building a place for God, he understood its limitations. He understood that God is too great to be contained in a room. He's too big to put him in a box and say that one day a week on Sunday we meet with God in this room of drywall and wood to worship him until next week. Solomon understood that, and church, we need to understand that. 
It is a privilege and an honor that God has provided a building for us to be able to meet and worship Him. But our God is bigger than this room. He's bigger than our worship one hour a day. He is worthy of more than that. And if this is all that you give Him, and this is the culmination of everything that you do for the rest of the week, you have, you have a short-sighted view, a small view of God. And you have fallen far short of what your relationship with Him ought to be. You truly have. And so the Jews got it way wrong. And we see this, especially in the times of, uh, of Christ, but we really see it all the way back early on, especially right before and into the Babylonian captivity and even the Assyrian attack on the northern kingdoms. But, but listen to what Jeremiah the prophet says uh, to them, this warning that he gives to the Jews in Jeremiah 7.4. He says, Do not trust in these deceptive words. Now, now, when we think about what, what deceptive words, what in the world could he have been talking about? What, were, they, were they saying things to false gods? Or, or you know, what, what kind of charge are you saying, Jeremiah? Look what he says. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Why in the world would those be deceptive words? Because the Jews had gotten to a place where they felt that it was the temple that gave them favor with God. Their focus had centered so much on the temple. We, we see that in the Gospels. By the time we get to the Gospels, we understand that the Jews, especially the Pharisees, uh, had become so self-righteous that they put their faith more in the temple and the rituals that went on inside of the temple than they did for, in God Himself. They relied more on the externals than they did on the one that wanted to dwell within them and would change them eternally. Why is that a problem? Because they were, in essence, glorying more in the work of their hands than they were in the one who created them. There's a big difference there. And this is where I believe that for a lot of church folks, we have gotten it wrong. Now, now, let me say this. I believe that when we come into the sanctuary, there ought to be some respect and reverence. I, I, I don't say this morning that this place ought to just be uh, just any other ordinary place where we, we just do whatever and act whatever. Uh, to some degree, you know, we, we ought to be thankful enough for the place that God has given us to take care of it, number one, Right? I am thankful every week that we have folks that are willing to come to this church and clean it. But you know really and truthfully who ought to help clean the church? You guessed it. Everybody, right? I, I mean, you know, we shouldn't just live, leave garbage, lay all over, just because there's people that will pick it up. If you brought it in, bring it back out with you. We have trash cans, right? And so there are certain things, if... if if, if you have children and, and you say, well, I don't want to send them to the nursery. I'm not comfortable with that. That's fine. I've said it a bazillion times. We want to have kids in the church. And I thank God for every crying baby, every loud toddler. Those are wonderful things. But you have to understand, too, that in a room this size with a lot of people, there is worship going on. And quite frankly, what we're doing this morning is we are battling for the souls of men and women. There are people here that are lost. 
And I'm telling you that the enemy will use anything and everything to try to take that word away and distract somebody from making a decision. And so you have to understand, I don't expect kids to sit dead silent still and not move. But in that moment where the Holy Spirit is dealing with a lost soul, if he can use your child to be a distraction, he will. And so just be mindful of that. That's all I'm saying. And when we come in this place, think about it. It's not the room that makes anything special. It's not that these lights are holy and the fans are holy and the carpet is holy, but the one that we're worshiping in here is. And as we gather before him and as we worship him, the reverence that he deserves ought to be where our focus is. So don't ever get caught up in the idolatry of saying, you know, this room is, is what's holy and this room is, is what makes it set apart. Because, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that Oftentimes, churches have sanctuaries that double as a, a fellowship hall or, or a basketball gym or whatever. And so, you know, we can have a church service, and at 12 o'clock, uh, we move the tables and play basketball and eat in the same room. And so from 11 to 12, it was holy and set apart, and then all of a sudden, we're, we're playing dodgeball in the same room. And I thought, and, you know, people, people just kind of turn that off and turn that on again. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, it's the same room, guys. You know, it, it's not the room. It's the one that inhabits not just the room, but us, that makes it holy. And so I think that the Jews miss the the big picture, and I think sometimes we miss the big picture about what's going on. Uh, so, So God had a place in the Old Testament. He set apart a specific place. But that was never the permanent plan. It was never the permanent plan. So jump down in Hebrews 9 to what we read second, and that's verses 11 through 15. And I want you to see something that he says there. He says, but when Christ appeared... As a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. And so we know the prophecies in the Old Testament were pointing to the day when a Messiah would come, a deliverer, a redeemer, the anointed one was going to come. The Jews were waiting expectantly, and then Christ appears, and he's not anything like what they expected. And so he came into his own, and his own received him not. And thankfully for us as non-Jewish people, that swung the door open for the Gentiles, and now the gospel is preached to all the world. We are gathered here today as believers in Christ because those early believers took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Have you ever stopped to be thankful that People who received the gospel didn't just keep it to themselves. That you are a believer here today because somebody shared Jesus with you. Somebody loved you enough to open up a Bible and tell you the good news about Christ. And that is our duty. That can stop this generation can say, we don't want that anymore. Christianity is always one generation away from being extinct. If you choose to fail to share the gospel, it can end with us. And Christ can make the stones cry out. I understand that. He doesn't need us, but he uses us. And he talks about in Romans 10, how shall they hear unless there's a preacher? And how, glo- how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the glad tidings of the gospel. It's up to us to take that message out into the world. How are we doing with that? Christ would come. The word would become flesh. And he would tabernacle among us. And in that, we see a shift taking place. We see that the days of that earthly temple are coming to an end. That the worship that the Jews had had placed all on that temple was now walking among them, and they didn't understand it. Jesus says this in in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. He says this in verses 19 to 21. 
Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken us 46 years to build this temple. See where their focus is? And you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the body of his, the temple of his body. The focus for the Jews was on the external. The very God whom they worshipped was now incarnate, standing before them, speaking. And they didn't understand. They, they, they enjoyed their religion so much that when they were visited by the Messiah, they were so blind and inept spiritually that they couldn't see Him. They missed it. They missed the very one. And I'm afraid that sometimes our focus is so much on the external that God meets with us on Sundays and Wednesdays and beyond, and we don't see Him because we're focused on all the other things that catch our eyes. Worship is not reserved to just this room. It's not. And if you relegate it just to that, then you're failing to give honor and glory to the one that lives within you all the time as believers. You see in the, in the Gospels, I think it's interesting, as, as we see this, this transition taking place, where, where God is, is no longer saying that the worship for me, he told the woman at the well, you worship in Samaria and we in Jerusalem, but the day is coming uh, where my people will worship me, not on this mountain, not in the temple, but my people will worship me in spirit and truth. And so he is, he is broadening that horizon. He's teaching this truth to his people even as he walked among the earth. And he's teaching it to us now through his word. But, but do you remember when Jesus cleansed the temple? When he went in and he saw the money changers and he took the whips and he flipped over tables and he drove them out? Do you remember? He quotes an Old Testament prophecy and do you remember what he says? He says, my house, my house will be a house of prayer but you have turned it into a den of thieves or a den of robbers. But what I think is interesting is, is early on when that account happens, he, he's talking about it being my house, that the glory of the Lord still inhabits this place to some degree. But as we get towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew as, he, as he gets into a, a portion of that Gospel, what, what we would call the Olivet Discourse, and he's talking about the last days and things that are going to take place, uh, when God's judgment comes. It, it, they are marveling at the temple, right? And in Matthew 24, the Jews are marveling at the temple and Jesus begins to teach them that not one of these stones will remain upon another. That this whole place that you guys have put your confidence in is going to be utterly destroyed. And that prophecy would come to pass 40 years later, in AD 70, when the Roman army with Emperor Titus would come in and utterly destroy the temple just as Jesus said it would happen. But right before the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, at the end of chapter 23, we see Jesus in the temple, and, it, and he leaves. He leaves to go over to the Mount of Olives. And he says to them, your house has left you desolate. Back at the beginning, he said, my house is a house of prayer. My house. Then he switches and says, your house has left you desolate. The Lord Jesus walked out of that temple for the final time before he would be crucified. And after that sacrifice on Calvary was made, the things that took place in the temple were no, no longer needed. Have you ever thought about that? 
when, when Jesus died on the cross, it was Passover, right? And after Jesus died, did they still continue to sacrifice animals? Sure they did. Sure they did. Every day up until that temple was gone, they continued to sacrifice animals because they missed the fact that the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice, had already come and all that stuff was no longer necessary. The law had been fulfilled. The greatest sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could atone for sin had happened and they kept right on business as usual in the temple. They didn't realize that their house had been desolated, that Christ had left that place and that he had opened a door for a far greater sanctuary. Look at verse 15 of our text today. You need to understand this. We need to understand this as believers. Therefore, he is the mediator the go-between, if you will, of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That's a difficult verse sometimes for us to understand with some of that language. Maybe we're not uh, mature believers yet or maybe we're new believers and we, we have a hard time understanding what exactly is the writer saying in verse 15? But we need to understand, because man, oh man, is this important. And if you get this, man, oh man, will you, will you have peace and assurance and joy in your life, and, and the freedom that Christ has given us uh, will be so much more glorious when you understand this truth. He, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. All those things in the first covenant, the law of Moses that was given, were temporary. The law cannot save you. So many people today think it's up to them to clean themselves up and to live a certain way and to act a certain way. And if they do all the right things, God is happy with them. How's that working for you? How are you doing with that? The Bible says if you're guilty in one area of the law, you're guilty in all of it. So how's that standard working for you? Do you see that the law could never justify it wasn't meant to? The law was meant to show a holy God and sinful people and the impossibility of them being reconciled. That's what the law is for. You'll never get saved until you understand you're lost. Until you understand that there's a holy God who is perfect in all His ways and His law is right and just and you have broken that law continually and willfully and because of that you are guilty already. The Bible talks about in John's Gospel that you are condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You're condemned already, my friend. Without Jesus this morning, you don't have to wait to stand before God and see which way the scales tip. They're already stipped, tipped towards judgment on you. The wrath of God abides on the unbeliever. We don't like to talk about hell, and we get uncomfortable about those types of things, but uh, it's necessary. We can't avoid the topic, and we shouldn't avoid the topic. Without Christ, you are lost, and hell will be your home for eternity. And I don't say that to scare you, I say that to warn you. Because that is the truth of the Word of God. But no one has to go to that place. The judgment of God fell upon His own Son. You understand that. We sing about all the joyful songs of Calvary, but do you understand that also on the cross, yes, there was love and there was grace, but there was also justice. There was the wrath of God poured out on His Son for you so that you would never again have to face that judgment because Jesus took it for you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's what the Bible tells us. That's the good news of the gospel. 
That's what verse 15 is telling us. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. The law couldn't save. It could only condemn. It could only point to guilt. And Christ came to fulfill the first and establish the second. That it wasn't just for the Jews meeting in a temple as God's chosen people. That by grace, the door has been opened so that all who would can come and take of the water of life freely. That we can be God's people and be reconciled to Him by faith alone in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And He is the mediator of that covenant. Sinful man and a holy God brought together through the cross in the person of Jesus. And that's what verse 15 is telling us. And since a death has occurred, whose death? Christ's death. The wages of sin is death. Christ was sinless. A sacrifice was uh, required and Jesus became that sacrifice. And he says, because of that, because of that, we can be reconciled to God. What good news. That's why we're here today. That's who we're worshiping. It's not about a room. It's so much bigger than that. We got to get our eyes off of the things that we can see to the one who is unseen. The one who is worthy of our worship. Don't get caught up in the building and the programs and the things and the externals. Those are wonderful and I'm glad to have them but I'm not as glad to have those as I'm glad to have the one that saved me and makes this possible. Don't get your focus misplaced. And that brings us to our last portion of Scripture, verses 23 and 24. And he tells us there that all of the things that we see in the Old Testament were just copies of the true. They were just shadows of the reality. He, he tells us in verse 23, he calls it copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Sure, all the washings and the cleansings in the Old Testament were necessary, but they were incomplete. When Christ shed His blood to set apart His people, He did so once forever. When you came to Christ and He saves you, you are set apart forever. You don't need another Savior. We're going to give an invitation at the close of this message. And if you're a child of God, you don't have to come every week and get saved again. The blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, you may need to come and confess sin, repent of sin, uh, and things of that nature. Not for salvation, but to be restored in your walk. To have your peace and your joy and your fellowship and your service and all the things that are necessary. God won't use a dirty vessel in the sense that he's not going to continue to bless you and give you confidence and strength. As long as you're outside of his will as a loving father, he's going to draw you to his presence to repent and get right with him. But he doesn't throw you away as his child. He doesn't say, well, you've blown it this time and you're no longer part of, uh, of my kingdom and, and my spirit has now left you and doesn't dwell within you and the adoption has been reversed and all the things that the Bible talks about. Salvation is eternal, my friends, and your salvation is secure in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't use discernment and you shouldn't examine yourself to make sure you really got it because there's a lot of people that walk around, uh, I believe, that think they're possessors of salvation and they're just professors of it. They don't really have it. That's not my call to make. But I believe that the Spirit of God, if you ask, will show you truly if you're bearing fruit or not. And if you're really His or you're not. And so we need to ask those questions. But they're copies of the permanent things. Let me give you two more scriptures as we come to an end. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Paul writes there, Do you not know 
that you are God's temple. So we've moved beyond now the physical temple. We've seen that Christ came and he was tabernacling among his people, that he was pointing them to something bigger than just a building in one city, that that he was pointing them to the reality that Christ rules and reigns over every inch of his creation, that he is in everything. In all things, Christ is omnipresent. And so we, we get that idea, but now he's moved beyond that. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, set apart, and you are that temple. My friends, when we get saved, the Spirit of God lives within us. Have you stopped to consider that lately? That every place that you go, you're taking the Spirit of God with you. That everything that you watch, He's watching it with you. That everything that you say, He's saying it with you. Are you honoring Him with your life? Are you pleasing Him? Are you going places with Him that you shouldn't go? Are you doing things that you shouldn't do? He lives within us. If we come in here and say, Oh man, we got to pay respect to the building now. Now sit down and be quiet and, and show reverence. And then we leave here and go out and live like the world. We've missed the boat. He doesn't want you to just show reverence and here for an hour. He wants you to live a sanctified life all the time. Because you are the temple of God. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 6.16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What good news. That's great news that God would come and dwell among us and inhabit us as his people. We can't do this apart from him. And he said, I'm going away, but I won't leave you as orphans. I'll send you a comforter. I'll send you someone, an advocate. And that was the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad today that God provides everything we need? But the question is, are we worshiping him continually because we are his temple and we are to point others to worship? We talk about the worship team and what they're doing up here. They're not just up here to entertain you with music. They're up here leading us together to worship the same God that they're worshiping. And what they are doing is just an extension of what you should be doing. And as I preach the gospel, we're worshiping the Lord through His Word. And I give you the Word and you take that Word out into the world and share it with others. You don't just have to be called as a pastor to share the Word of God. As a Christian, you're called to take it. And share it, spread that seed, because His Word never returns void. What are you doing with that? The things that we do in this earthly sanctuary, in this room, are the same things we should be doing every day, every moment of our lives. We should be worshiping Him, proclaiming the Word of God, praying, fasting, whatever we do in here should be an extension of our lives, each and every day. I want to close with, with a thought. This is not original with me. It's, a, it's an illustration that I've seen elsewhere, but I thought it was poignant for today's lesson. I think for the most part, everybody enjoys pizza to some degree, right? We all have our favorite place, but most of us enjoy pizza. Can you imagine if you ordered a pizza today for lunch and you had it delivered and you were waiting for it and you hear the knock on the door and you open it and there stands the delivery guy with your pizza in his hand and no box, He's got the pizza on his hand, the cheese is dripping down all over it, and he sticks it out to you and offers it to you. Now, what would you think? What's the first question that you would ask? 
What, did you wash your hands? That might be the first thing. But wouldn't you ask this? Where's the box? Where's the box? This box is really insignificant. It's a cheap cardboard 25-cent box. But what makes this box so important is what's inside of it. You see? The pizza is what we want, but we want it in the box. God doesn't need us. But what gives us worth and value and purpose is the one that lives inside of us. And He chooses to use us as vessels. He doesn't need us. But isn't it a humbling thought that God would want to advance His kingdom and further His gospel through sinners like me and you? Man, that's amazing. That we don't just have to go to church, we get to go to church. That, that He would allow someone like me to stand up here and open up His Word. I'm not sharing with you my opinions this morning. I have to stand up here with the, the uh, awesome task of trying to share with you God's Word. Man, we should never take that lightly. And we get a chance as God's people to gather together and thank Him and praise Him and lift up our voices to Him and to be edified and encouraged and maybe even admonished to, to repent in certain areas so that we can go out this week as His victorious people and live different. We are the sanctuary of God. We, think about that. Think about the Old Testament and, and, and the awe and wonder behind that veil that went on when, when the Shekinah glory of God would come down and dwell over that mercy seat. And they would sprinkle the blood. That same glorious God that caused awe and wonder to fall on the people that day lives in us. When people see us, do they see Christ through us? Are they brought face to face with the living God when they hear us speak and they watch us live? That's quite a challenge. And I know I fall short and I'm sure you do too. But that's no excuse for us as God's people to not continually have that thought before us. That I am God's vessel. That I am the sanctuary of the living God and the Holy Spirit is within me. What am I going to do this week? How am I going to live? How am I going to worship? How am I going to talk? What am I going to watch? Will people see Jesus when they see me? My prayer is that that is what is said of my life. That each day I try to live so that people see Jesus in some small tangible way through me that I can share the good news of Christ somehow, some way with some soul that's wandering or some soul that's hurting and give them hope and give them the truth. And I pray that it's the same for you. I pray that we haven't made the worship of the majestic God simply an hour in a room on Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you would come and live within us that, Lord, you would inhabit sinful creatures and that you couldn't dwell in a dirty house so that you would save and redeem us to make us fit for your glory. Lord, that the only reason you're able to dwell within us and we could even look upon you is because your sacrifice has cleansed us and made us pure and righteous in your sight, Lord. Today, as we worship, 
We're worshiping you and thanking you that you would do that for us. So Lord, help us, not just in these closing moments today as we give this invitation for worship, but that each and every day we make a difference in this world according to your plan and your word. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to invite the praise team to come. And as we do each week, we sing a song of invitation. This is a continued extension of the message. But this is the part now where we invite you to respond. We've shared the Word of God. We've tried to give you the explanation of the Word of God. But the invitation is now an opportunity for you to answer what God is saying to you. Maybe you need to come and pray about something in your life or some sin in your life that you need to confess. Maybe you're lost and you know it, and this is the time where you come and receive Christ. Maybe you're ready to join this church and become a part of it here. There's a million different responses that you can give to the invitation. But my prayer is that you'll give a response. And sitting in your seat doing nothing is a response. If God is calling you and He is moving today, it's my prayer that you would come. So if you're able, let's stand and let's sing together. Mm -hmm.